KXNT, your place for common sense conservatism. Sam Marjofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. This hour of the What's Right show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. All right, uh, there is some news out of Chicago, and it is um, <laughs> it's good uh, broadly for the movement to reclaim common sense in America. Lori Lightfoot has lost re-election. That's right. Let the joyous news be spread. The she is done. I'll tell you, she didn't lose to uh, a person. She lost to two people. She came in uh, at, what is this, a 16% of the vote. Uh, two other Democrats bested her, and they are now headed to the runoff in April. One of them uh, is a Mr. Johnson, Brandon Johnson. He's a Cook County commissioner. The New York Times describes Mr. Johnson as an unabashed progressive, a teacher who is black. And unlike the victor of the race, uh, the candidate who received the most votes, a gentleman named Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis won 35% of the vote, Johnson only 20%. Vallis uh, is a white man, this is a lament from the New York Times, a white man who's a former public school executive and a vocal supporter of law enforcement. How about that? It, it turns out that even a massively Democrat-run city controlled city like Chicago would consider crime uh, to be an issue. Vallis ran four years ago, by the way, came in a distant ninth place with only 5% of the vote. This is what I'm talking about, folks. In four years, crime has spiraled so out of control that they are done. Even the Democrats cannot deal with the stink. The crime has perpetrated on their communities. Now, Lightfoot, you, you of course know she's um, what she looks like, right? She's this little lady, looks like Beetlejuice. And that's not the worst of it. She's an unabashed racist. All the stuff, I, I don't even, it's almost unreal when you go through some of the history of her antics. Uh, one time, um, there uh, was a moment where she wanted to only take questions from reporters of color. Uh, she gets called on this by John Burnham, although a little softly, CNN's John Burnham. This is the exchange. Listen to this. On the anniversary of, of, of your inauguration, you uh, gave interviews to only reporters of color, and you're being now sued for that uh, on the basis of discrimination. Your reaction? Well, the, the, the lawsuit is completely frivolous. Um, I'd use a more colorful term if we weren't on TV. But here's the thing. I'm the mayor of the third largest city in the country. I'm an African-American uh, woman, to state the obvious. Every day when I look out across my podium, I don't see people who look like me. But more to the point, I don't see people who reflect the richness and diversity of the city. 
richness and diversity of the city. That's right. That's all that matters. I will not answer questions from white journalists. I'm only going to take questions from journalists of color. Racist. That's how I describe Lori Lightfoot. Now, it got worse from there, and I'm bringing all this up, folks, because here in Las Vegas, we have a mayoral, mayoral election coming up in, uh, in 24. And we have to be extra careful not to end up with a light foot light here. Uh, I'll explain what I mean about that in just a moment. But, you know, I just want to remind everybody who she was. She went to war on the police instead of tackling crime. She decided to pick a fight uh, with the uh, with the cops in Chicago. Uh, this is her. Um, this is her calling out the uh, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, talking about how bad the police are calling them insurrectionists. Listen. What we've seen from uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, and particularly the leadership, is a lot of misinformation, a lot of half-truths, and frankly, flat-out lies, in order to induce an insurrection. Uh, and we're not having that. And let me be very clear about this. John Cantazar has destroyed his police career. Destroyed it. He's not fit. And he's never going to go back to um, the department in any kind of active position. Now, while she's picking this fight with the cops, if you remember back in the uh, 2020 summer of George when riots were breaking out across cities uh, in the U.S., here in Las Vegas, uh, thankfully, uh, most of the disaster that afflicted other areas was avoided in part because we had a sheriff here, Joe Lombardo, who maintained order and kept things in check. But listen, in Chicago, the city was was flat out on fire. And there was this exchange where a Chicago alderman, which is like a city council person named Raymond Lopez, got on a conference call together with other aldermen from the city to talk to the mayor about the problems of, of ongoing violence in the city that was literally happening as they were having this call. And Lopez, Alderman Lopez says, basically, you know, we've we've asked, you know, we've asked the community and in, in good faith, we've asked the mayor in good faith and we've asked the police in good faith to try to solve this. Half our neighborhoods are already obliterated, he says. It's too late. Once they're done looting and rioting, whatever's going to happen tonight, God help us. Pleading basically with the mayor for help. Who's going to help us? I've got gangbangers, literally a city councilman in Chicago telling the mayor, I've got gangbangers with AK-47s walking around right now just waiting to settle some scores. He then continues. You can hear the rest of his comments. Um, and, uh, uh, and then uh, you'll hear the mayor's response. What are we going to do and what do we tell our residents other than good faith people stand up? It's not going to be enough. Thank you, Alderman. Next question. Well, no, I want an answer. I, I, you commented on everybody. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. This is a Alderman, question that I have. I think you're 100%, I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. So that's her answer. Literally, you have a city councilman begging for help from the mayor with a, a, a crisis breaking out in the city. And you all remember... 
the images that we saw from Chicago, from Minneapolis, from L.A., all across the country of of nighttime riots. And of, and of course, this guy Lopez is right. A lot of bad people who had nothing, uh, who had no, who didn't, weren't protesting any particular issues, but were taking advantage of the mayhem that was breaking out, uh, were, were out there, you know, waving weapons. And suddenly the pol- police and the political uh, organization of the city of Chicago didn't care because you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter. So when she would get criticized a year or so later, uh, there was some back and forth from the uh, Chicago Tonight station uh, about this, Phil Ponce um, asking her about her reaction to criticism. And uh, listen to how little she gives a rip. Your reaction to criticism, uh, Tribune editorial used the term irascible. Uh, how much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that you're a woman and partic- specifically a black woman? About 99% of it. Expand on that. Women and people of color are always held to a different standard. I uh, absolutely understand that the critics, some of them who are out there, are criticizing me because they don't like to see a woman assume power and and forge ahead on an agenda that is about disrupting the status quo. Um, And look, I also say with the Tribune, consider the source. Look at that Tribune editorial board. Look at the editorial boards of most of the uh, big media companies here in the city. They do not reflect our diversity. Well, you know, I think what she wanted was everybody out in the audience to look like a short, ugly black lesbian. And then maybe it would be more reflective of the type of diversity that she brought to the office. This is so racist, what she is saying. Any criticism of her and her leadership, she instantly would always pivot to, uh, I'm, I, this, my criticism of me is only because I'm a woman, I'm gay, I'm... And I'm I'm black. Disruption of status quo. Yeah, she disrupted status quo, right? Violent crime in the city spiked by 40%. That's what it was. And, and 500 murders in 2019, 776 murders in 2020, 804 in 2021, and we're not done counting it for 22. There were 20,000 cases of theft last year, nearly double the amount of 2021. Chicago has a higher per capita homicide rate than New York City or L.A. And I am, this is heartbreaking. I care a little bit about Chicago because I was born there. I was born in, well, outside of Chicago in Evanston, Illinois, and, um, uh, so I, you know, this is a great American city that has been absolutely devastated by woke politics in the form of this racist cretin. Am I a little upset? Perhaps. So the takeaway from this, what is it? It's that when these policies reach their zenith of absurdity, even, even Democrats start to cry enough is enough. And that's what I find so interesting about the vote is that the top vote getter was the guy who is pro-police. Yes, he's a Democrat, but he's pro-police. 
He's a law and order candidate. The guy that four years ago got 5% of the vote and came in distant ninth place was a total afterthought, now has his, his moment to shine. And w- whether he carries the race, ultimately wins the runoff against a more progressive Democrat remains to be seen. But, um, you, you know, I, 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 here in Vegas, we're, we're going to have – we don't yet know who all the participants in the mayoral race will be. It's going to be an interesting race because it's it's going to parallel, be at the same time as the presidential election. So this is going to be, first off, a very, very expensive race to be a candidate in for a local election. I will tell you that. Uh, but we have, you know, we will have some moderate Democrats and we're going to have some terrible Democrats in the race. And it may come down to for us picking between a, a reasonable a uh, Democrat who's who's you know got a got a reasonable approach and 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 or one like this what it sounds like to me from the characterization that the New York Times makes about this guy Brandon Johnson or someone more like him. Or I have to take a quick break here, but um, it's I have hope. I have hope. But we here in Vegas we cannot elect somebody like this. It would be the end of us. All we have here is. You know, a, a little bit of safety and peace that draws tourism in and keeps people coming and, and, and enjoying our city. This goes away, folks. It's, it's an existential threat. Mark my words. All right, Sam Rajovsky here. You're listening to the What's Right Show, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show, News Talk 840 KXNT. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve lawyers that share your values. By the way, speaking of lawyers, uh, after uh, we get through the news here at the bottom of the hour, I do want to give you some thoughts and updates on the Alec Murdoch murder mystery. Uh, So I'll do that here uh, in a bit. Again, I'll put on my lawyer hat. Uh, try to get some, make some sense of this, give you my thoughts on what the prosecution is doing and obviously what the defense is doing as well. So we'll get into that. Uh, uh, I saw the, I'll tell you, I saw the Netflix documentary. I finally went through that. If you've got teenagers that are about to start drinking and driving and doing dumb stuff like that, uh, have them watch it. It's pretty brutal, but... Um, might make them rethink some of their life choices. All right, in the meantime, just finishing up this conversation about Lori Lightfoot. This is um, an example where a blue city has rebelled, kicked out, sent off to pasture a woke, ultra-left-wing politician. So I take this for what it is as good news. Now, there'll be a runoff election, the two people running. I mentioned just before the break, one of them is a law and order pro-law enforcement Democrat. The other one is a, is a um, uh, well, he's, a, he's not that. He's more progressive. 
So this will be a race between a progressive Democrat and a, and a, and a more moderate Democrat. And it reminds me a little bit about what happened in L.A. And in L.A., you remember last year there was a, a very tight, close, and, uh, well, a pretty passionate race for mayor that ultimately uh, Karen Bass, the progressive Democratic candidate, won, carried the day, um, and the real estate developer, Republican turned to Democrat, conservative Democrat is what we'll call him, I guess, is uh, he did not you know, make it, ultimately did not garner enough votes. And my, one of my assessments at the time is that, well, you know, it's, it happened, it went down this way because L.A. did not yet hit rock bottom. And taking out of it all the voter collection efforts, all the, you know, all the, just the skeezy stuff that goes on in L.A., no doubt, of course, in Chicago, they don't call it the Windy City for nothing. Expect shenanigans there, too. But as a general trend, I think Chicago has gotten so bad, and I shared with you the statistics. I mean, it's murder rate per capita is worse uh, than L.A. Uh, and worse than New York City. So it's, you know, no doubt is a, a place that where it, it, it's gotten so bad that people have noticed. Now, what it is being pitched as this loss is uh, when you get into some of these, well, some of these, some of these people are uh, in the media are, are lamenting the spectacular fall of Lori Lightfoot. And they are, they, they are, yeah. And they're, they're just, it's always this, right? It was a stunning rebuke, quote, where's this from? DN, uh, I think this was originally posted in the Chicago Tribune. It was a stunning rebuke on Tuesday, Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago, the first black woman and first open LGBTQ plus person to lead the city, failed to advance to a runoff. Most people think you know this most people stop reading an article after the first paragraph so i you know what i'm what i what i mean by this is this is the this is the narrative first openly lgbtq plus person loses a race a first black woman loses the race got news for you folks the race shouldn't be about the race if you're running for mayor or you're applying for a job, I keep repeating this over and over again. You, it, your identity don't mean a hill of beans to me. I care about being safe. I would gladly have a mayor in Las Vegas here who is a black woman and openly LGBTQ plus would love it if she is a reasonable person and keeps law and order and keeps our city on the straight and narrow, supports her cops, does what she can to help our schools, right? This is nothing, that, the substance in our society needs to come back. We need to fight for it again, bring back substance. As I always say, you know, if uh, talk about all the identity stuff all you want, but uh, if you're flying to uh, vacation, and you're at the airport and there's two gates and one gate has the affirmative action cockpit and the other one has the best pilot cockpit. I don't care how left wing you are. You tell me which plane you get on. Just saying. All right. The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll get to the Murdoch 
murder trial. I have some thoughts on this. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Welcome to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism delivered daily here on News Talk 840 KXNT, 1 to 3 p.m. That's right. We are now in our, I've lost track, fourth week, is that right, of two hours. So we are uh, enjoying this. I am enjoying this, and I hope you are as well. All right. The Murdoch murder mystery. What an alliterative adventure that is. Uh, this case is uh, grinding to a halt here, uh, to an end. Uh, the prosecution just rested its case. Uh, side note here, just putting on my lawyer hat and explaining this to you. So the, 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 the side that has the burden of proof is the one that gets to speak to the jury last. So it's a, you know, you, here in a, in a criminal case, the uh, burden of proof is on the prosecution to prove that Alec Murdoch did this crime. So as a consequence, the prosecution puts on its case first, then the defense puts on its case, and then the prosecution is allowed to do a rebuttal, which they did, and that part of it has has rested um, now. And, and, and one of the things, I, I guess... I have one big unanswered question, and I've mentioned it before, but I've asked all sorts of people here about this uh, who are following this case closely to tell me the answer, and no one can. And I suspect when they end up polling the jurors, regardless of the outcome, they're going to say that that was the biggest obstacle. I need to understand why Alec Murdoch killed his son. Now, I understand that the son had, you know, was on trial at the time of his death or was had criminal charges pending against him for the, uh, not what was a homicide, it was a, a, a death of Mallory Beach, a boating accident, um, negligent homicide. I forget what they charged, but nonetheless, there was this criminal case that was threatening to blow open all of Alec Murdoch's crimes. Alec Murdoch, of course, was a famous, powerful personal injury lawyer and an absolute thief, right? A despicable sociopathic thief. I don't know how else to say this. So yes, there were things that were spiraling out of control. And yes, I understand under those circumstances, you know, your wife is looking into your finances and whatever. I mean, there are plenty of cases where a husband murders the wife, but to kill his son, kill his younger of two sons, to me sounds, I don't know, I have to understand why. And I don't think, right, with that trial pending, I've, I, I've, I've heard somebody say, well, you know, th it would end the criminal case. And so he was hoping that that would get the attention off of him. But I, I don't, I mean, I, certainly he's not thinking clearly fine. He's 
got, you know, taking med medication that you shouldn't be taking, some opiates. I get all of this, but it just doesn't make sense. You've, you've got to get to the motive, and the motive that his world was collapsing around him isn't good enough. Now, the only motive I can think of it would be that, you know, he intends to kill his wife and the, the kid stumbles on it. But the problem with that is, is that I, I think it's pretty clear he killed the son first or whoever shot the son. The son was shot first. And then the, the, the wife was, was, was killed with a rifle as she's running away. So th this is a major open hanging issue that's been left. How would I describe this? Left unattended, left unexplained. Now, I did mention earlier, he, he went on the stand, he testified, he, he uh, Alec Murdoch, by the way, he pronounces it Alec Murdoch. I'm not being uh, ESL here when I, when I, when I say, say it this way. It's, it, it is spelled, you and I would, would say it Alex Murdoch, but he pronounced it Alec Murdoch because this is the South Carolina low country. So I guess that's how they talk down there. Anyway. Uh, I've heard it's explained that, look, he was, he was trying to target the wife and then the son got it, it, but that just doesn't make any sense. So the defense, so he goes up there, he gets on the stand and, and it's, you know, he gets caught in certain lies, but overall in watching his testimony, it, you know, it was pretty good. All things considering, and you know why it was good friends, I'll tell you, because when you get, when you have someone like this guy who was able to lie to everyone with a straight face for years, who was able to win people over, charm them, maintain these friendships in spite of the tremendous harm that he's doing to people. Uh, that kind of sociopathic behavior, uh, that is, that, that's not gonna just go away because he, he's been, been humbled. If anything, he's looking at this as a as an opportunity for some redemption and going through his his you know some kind of a rebirth. And I so I don't believe a word he's saying. I just don't. Th I, my concern is, and I want to warn everybody. My concern is I'm not sure that the prosecution have, have proved their case. Regrettably. Now, with that said, jurors and juries, I will tell you better than anybody that it is a an total crapshoot. I was watching a, uh, a little show here, Brian Cranston. He's a good actor. He's total, but it's called Your Honor. It's on Showtime. I've been watching it, and he, at one point, he's a judge. I'm not going to give away much about the show, but he's a judge, and he, at one point, he says to somebody, you know, all the cases I've presided over, I can always call them. I always know what, where the jury's going to go. I don't, I, I that is... I've heard, I've talked to judges too, and I have judges that are friends. I, that is not real, okay? Sometimes you have a good sense, and you're you're you, and you're absolutely surprised with what they come back with. You just have no idea. Uh, so this will be you know this will be an interesting case. But what I I want to get to though, speaking of television, I saw the uh, Netflix Murdoch murder mystery. Uh, show that is on uh, yeah, on Netflix, and it goes through the, it goes through more than just the murders. It goes through other suspicious deaths that are connected to the family. It goes through, of course, the 
uh, enormous financial fraud, and it goes through the boating accident that sort of kicked everything off. Now, first, I'm going to say the boating accident, the, uh, that story about these kids who are out partying late at night, they're high school kids, they're partying, they're drinking, they take this boat back. Uh, there's a lot of conversations in it about how, you know, we knew this was a terrible idea, and he, our, you know, our friend, the, the owner of the boat, uh, who, who later was, was killed, Paul Murdoch, was, was acting weird, and, you know, we shouldn't have, tr we shouldn't have done this. And it's just a, it's a compelling case for how we all, but particularly our young people, our kids, and I have, I have, a, I have a teenager, you know, I got a kid who's in high school now. And I watched it with him, and I, 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 was, I wanted him to see that particular episode because, and we talked a little bit about it. I, I said, this is an example of how bad decisions start accumulating. They, they, they cascade. One, okay, we're going to go out. We're going to underage drink. We're going to go out. We're going to go out on the river on a boat. We're going to drive somewhere. We're all going together as a group. Now there's, you know, nobody wants to peel away from the group. You, you, you take little steps and each one of those steps may not in and of itself seem like it's that bad of a decision. In other words, there is a justification for each one of those decisions. You can kind of, you can explain it away. But then ultimately you get to a point where they have all added up and, and, and equaled catastrophe. So I, those of you with teenagers, look at it first, see if it meets your standards. Uh, but I, I, I think there's, you know, even what do they what's the old saying right no even a bad example is a good example this terrible tragedy of how this girl was was needlessly killed uh through misadventure a uh, bunch of teens and and they're all by the way blaming the dead kid paul murdoch who was you know murdered and whose father's on trial right now for allegedly doing it you know i'm i'm looking at these kids and i go you guys made some bad decisions along the way too and that's, you know, a critical component of this. And of course, finally, before the break here, let me just say this. The, uh, as a lawyer, as an injury lawyer, as a plaintiff attorney here in Las Vegas, I absolutely, I am absolutely sickened by the conduct that this guy engaged in uh, as a practicing lawyer down there in South Carolina. It is and, and I, I, you know, I, we talk occasionally here about bad lawyers and their misdeeds coming to light. Um, I, I, I suspect it's not as uncommon as you would think. And I'm, it, this, this whole story as, as to how he kept lying to people and putting them off. Folks, if your injury lawyer has settled a case, your case, and is not communicating with you or is constantly making up excuses why you are not to be paid, there's, there's a problem. It takes, I would say on average, somewhere like two to three months after a case closes to negotiate all the bills down. Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. There's an, a big hospital bill. There's a, a state lien that you gotta go through a, a channels to get reduced. But I'm telling you, if you're, a year after the case and the lawyer's still giving you the, the runaround or telling you things like, oh, the check's in the mail. Oh, we sent your check. What, you didn't get it? Okay, we're going to FedEx it to you tomorrow. Anything like that, that is a red flag. 
that is a red flag, and I suggest uh, absolutely consulting with another lawyer and or reporting that attorney to the state bar because this is um, that we cannot allow this stuff to happen in our community here in Las Vegas. All right, friends, taking a quick break. I'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show on News Talk 840 KXNT will continue. Rachofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering ex-Californian, local attorney here in town, and friend to all people, at least those of you who have some modicum of common sense. All right. Did you see this? <laughs> the, <laughs> oh my, the Sussexes. That's right. Meghan Markle and her beau, her husband, Prince Harold have been evicted from Frogmore Cottage by the king, Harry's father, King Charles. Um, what is this all about? This apparently went down somewhere around the time that the insufferable memoir written by Prince Harry, titled Wah, no, that's not the real title of the book, it's Spare. It's a reference to being the spare heir, the second in line to succeed uh, his brother. So he's the backup, you know, the backup heir. When he published that book, apparently drew the ire of King Charles. Yeah, you think? Uh, no doubt. So he goes, yeah, you know what? Queen Elizabeth may have given you this cottage. And when, when I say given them, basically given them a leasehold interest in the cottage which is on the grounds of Windsor Castle, the Windsor Estate, uh, decided then to pull that back. There are rumors that disgraced Prince Andrew, former friend of Democrat pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, is going to be moving into this uh, cottage. By the way, it's not a cottage. I want to tell you, uh, Sherry and I and our three kids and two dogs would be delighted to live in a cottage this big. That is a fact. This is, the, yeah, it's more of a mansion, but it's, it's cute. It's got that kind of English countryside chic to it. Remember Meghan Markle complained about how small it was. Well, look, it wasn't, you know, 15,000 square feet and then Montecito. So uh, there's that. Um, I think it's I think it's great. And by the way, this is probably the way how they get a Harry and Meghan to not come to town for anything. If you're the royals, think of it this way. Forget royals. This is like this is a family that, you know, a situation I can't personally. I don't know. I don't have family like this, but I have friends who have family members that they would rather not see because they're backstabbing little beezies. So I think, you know, what, what better way? Imagine you've got a backstabbing family member that likes to come into town. And when they come into town, it's all negative energy, right? And when they leave town, then it's drama for, for months. And the reason they come into town is because your grandma left them a nice little uh, house to stay in. But you have the power to take that away. What do you do? I tell you, all of us would pull a King Charles toot sweet just packing that thing up and being done with it. Now, here's another common sense story that I absolutely, I don't even believe that this has to 
be in print from the dailymail.com. There is a new study. Are you ready for this? There's a new study that has that has discovered that getting your child to exercise regularly slashes their risk of ADHD and behavioral problems. <laughs> Remember that kid, special ed kid, we've been talking about him for now two days straight to attack the teacher in Florida. What did she take from him, supposedly? By the way, the teacher now denies that she took this thing from him. A remote con a, a, a gaming device, a controller to a gaming device. No, maybe these kids ought to be out there running around on the playground and riding their bikes out in the, in the park and climbing trees, doing all sorts of dangerous, quote-unquote, dangerous things, and, and get off the meds. I mean, again, I can't believe that they're that they're uh, having to write about this and, and present it as some kind of a learned study. I mean, I, I know they did it, but they, they figured out that basically moderate to vigorous exercise, reduced hyperactivity and behavioral problems, such as loss of temper, fighting, lying, stealing, all of this in kids between 11 and 13. You know, you know what this reminds me of a little bit, Robbie? This reminds me of how the only solution to COVID was the pharmaceutical jab, right? You had to take the shot. If you wanted to be safe from COVID, you needed the chemicals. Because one, if you gave the chem, took the chemicals, you could prove your do-goodism to society. But until, what is it, yesterday, two days ago, when they're figuring out that, oh, it turns out natural immunity is as good, if not better, than the COVID vaccine. I would argue, by the way, better, based on my experience with friends and family. But anyway, you needed the vaccine until they figured out, oh, wait, nature has a solution for this. Now, we are over-medicating our kids. We're creating a, uh, and it's been going on now for, for God, almost 30 years. We're giving kids too many meds. What these kids ought to be doing is running around loose, getting into trouble, getting dirty, getting all their wiggles out, outside. And I know, I talk to parents, I'll tell you this, I, I know where the, some of this problem of this comes from. Parents are terrified their kids are gonna go out and get hurt. And, and you've got parents who are, who are so controlling and then if the kid doesn't have sports, isn't in, you know, isn't in some kind of football or, or other contact sport, you know, running around, playing soccer, baseball, whatever it is, then they just sit at home indoors, collecting dust, playing video games, turning into, you know, uh, reclusive, socially delayed, and, um, and, and hyperactive kids. It's funny, the story comes out today on the heels of the, of the case down in Florida, and I'm perhaps a little inartful yesterday uh, tried to explain this, that how many of these so-called, so-called special ed kids are just really hyper kids that need to go out and run around and get their wiggles out. I mean, it's a valid point. So this... Uh, 
you know, listen, if you've got kids, I not today, of course, because it was snowing uh, at my house, by the way, here in town. Literally this morning, the wife sends me a video of my dog trying to go out, use the bathroom in the backyard, and he is covered, his back is covered in snow. Poor thing. All right, we come back. Merrick the Magnificent, the Attorney General in the hot seat at the Capitol. Senators grilling him on the Department of Justice and uh, a lot of their misdeeds. This was uh, an incredible thing to behold. I've been following it all day. I want to share that with you together with an interesting article referenced by one of the senators today in the Washington Post, word that... The FBI and prosecutors, Justice Department officials, argued over whether to raid Trump or not. Ah, I've got a take on that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after the news. The What's Right Show will continue. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right. All right. I'm going to get to it. I'm just doing a little social media here. It's like uh, Howling Madman Wurlitzer behind the organ. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. All right. The What's Right Show, second hour, 1 to 3 p.m. now, Monday through Friday. Merrick the Magnificent uh, appeared on Capitol Hill today, got absolutely excoriated. Uh, by Republican senators. Uh, they are grilling his A money money over the George Foreman grill, proverbially speaking, uh, and rightly so. A couple of big picture thoughts. You have to understand Merrick Garland absolutely loathes Republicans, in particular Senate Republicans. Have to understand the context uh, for his, well, distaste being asked questions under oath by some of these senators. And the reason for this is simple. The Republicans in the Senate, then controlling the chamber, denied Merrick Garland his opportunity to become a Supreme Court judge, justice, excuse me. You'll remember this was in the last year of the Obama administration. Uh, he, Obama put him out there sort of, uh, he was not... This was not a serious candidate for office, right? I mean, and I even mean that age-wise. What was Garland? Was it in the 50s when Obama put him forward? Obama knew that it was sunk. He knew that the timing was off. He knew it wasn't going to happen. So he put Merrick Garland out there as a, you know, thank you for your service and here, have a crack at this and, and, and uh, we're going to make you a martyr. Had the nomination been serious, friends, uh, they would have picked someone younger, both Republicans and Democrats. Presidents like to pick Supreme Court justices that are going to be around for a bit. And so to that end, I, I think, you know, they do follow the actuarial tables and somebody in their mid-40s is going to be around 10 years longer than somebody in their mid-50s. 
So that's a little bit of background. So Garland's there. He's getting grilled by a lot of the same Republicans that he thinks did him dirty uh, some time ago. And so he's, you know, he's not loving this, which is precisely why here we at the What's Right show did love it, all of it. And I want to point out another thing, and this was, I don't think, planned in any way, shape, or form. But just today, the Washington Post dropped a piece. Uh, This is by Carol Lenig, touted as an exclusive look behind the scenes of the deliberations that both the FBI and the Department of Justice had leading up to the Mar-a-Lago raid. You know, the August 8th raid where they showed up at dawn. Guns drawn, blazing into the uh, to the home of a former president of the United States. Now, my question is always, why now? Why are we suddenly today, this month, this year, having a piece where people are clearly going on the record to say there was discord in the Department of Justice? Let me give you an example. For example, uh, well, here we're there's a a guy named Stephen Dantuono. Dantuono is uh, was then the head of the FBI's Washington field office. This was the FBI office responsible for the Mar-a-Lago raid. By the way, they were the ones working together with the Department of Justice to pursue their investigation into Trump. Now, he was running the investigation, and he was adamant, this according to the Washington Post, they've sourced quite a few people. There's alternatively four and six sources referenced as having corroborated some of these details. This head FBI Washington field office agent, Stephen Dantuono, said that he was adamant that the FBI should not do a surprise search. He said to people in that meeting with the Justice Department, with the lawyers at the Justice Department, he said he would agree to lead a raid like that only, quote, if he were ordered to. And this according to two people who were present. The other two people said Dan Tuono did not refuse to do the search, but argued it should be consensual uh, and agreed to by Trump's legal team. Same head agent, right? Not some guy in the lowest rank guy on the team, but the head guy goes, uh, complained to the Justice Department how bad it would look for agents with the words FBI, letters FBI emblazoned on their jackets to invade a former president's home. You know, when I read all this stuff, friends, what do I think? I think rats fleeing a sinking ship is what I think. I think with the Republicans in charge of Congress, with, and I mentioned this to you before, the Republicans in Congress putting up literally advertisements all around D.C. I mean, they're not literally hanging up placards, but they're putting it out there in all the right places. Notices that read something like this. Are you an FBI whistleblower? Have you witnessed things that you uh, find problematic, we want to hear from you. So if you're from the FBI, you're the Department of Justice, 
We want you to come forward confidentially. We Here's a hotline. Here's an email. Here's who you contact. And this is, you'll, by the way, you'll, you'll just be speaking to the Republicans, none of those backstabbing Democrats. And I think what's going on, I think there's a bit of fear right now in D.C. that that these people who got pushed out of the way, whether this is true that he really dug his heels in and said, I don't want to do this or not, fact of the matter is that people are frantic to get on the record as being the good guys. This dragged on, by the way, for some time, uh, described as a tense showdown. Two senior FBI officials resisted the plan, thought it was too combative, the plan, of course, being to uh, do a surprise raid on Mar-a-Lago. So when this actually happened, they were still not quite happy about it. Um, And this is another part of the story, even more incredibly, some of these field agents wanted to shutter the criminal investigation altogether in early June. Remember, the raid happened in August, early August. So two months before the raids itself thought, hey, we, we better close this up. Now, I thought one, before I let this article uh, put it down here and return it back to my stack of stuff, I wanted to just say there was something in this article that stuck out to me. And that is that they apparently were doing, the FBI was doing surveillance. And they saw in some surveillance video, they saw people moving stuff around. And then another thing in it, they said that they went to the security cameras at Mar-a-Lago. They went through the security footage that was recorded and found also some people moving stuff in and out of the storage room. And then finally, the Justice Department would not tell the FBI, according to this piece, that Trump was the target of the investigation. Now, here's, here's what I take from it as a lawyer. See, this case is a real challenge for them. One, in order to pursue any criminal charges over Trump mishandling sensitive documents, you have to figure out what, how are these documents sensitive. And if the only reason that they're sensitive is because they're classified, then, as I've said before, Trump could have declassified these as long as he'd done it in his mind through, you know, waving his hands up in the air and shouting, Drew, Drew, it doesn't matter how he did it. There's no procedure for it. As long as Trump declassified these before he left office, they're not classified anymore. It doesn't matter that they have classified written on the cover of the document or the top of the document. That doesn't matter. What matters is their actual classification, and you don't have to remove that just because they've been declassified. But the second thing is that you have to prove, you have to prove that Trump had knowledge that these documents were down there and that he was the one that moved them. That's going to be a challenge, honestly, with Pence and with, with, with uh, Biden and everybody. You, you're going to have to prove that they, they were the ones that did it. With so many aides around and, and looking at cameras, I really doubt they have Donald Trump on camera moving these things in and out of the storage closet. Right? Does that make sense? So with all of this background, we, we come back and take a quick break here. I want to get to some of these uh, moments from today's hearing because Merrick Garland's in the hot seat. He's the attorney general. He was at the heart of this. He has admitted that he was 
the one who gave the go forward on the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Of course, he did not tell Joe Biden any of this, right? Wink, wink, wink. Okay, don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue in just a moment. What a delightful coincidence, just as the Washington Post writes an article about the FBI, upper echelons of the FBI, uh, being aghast at the proposed raid on Mar-a-Lago. We now have the attorney general himself who pushed for the raid on Capitol Hill. Sam Rajovsky, uh, live and local here in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. The sun came out briefly, uh, looked almost as though we would have... Um, you know, pool season's supposed to start in two days here. And it literally snowed today. I put up on What's Right Show, the Instagram account for the program. I put up a video taken this morning of my dog, Rudy, trying to go to the bathroom. By the way, this is Rudy who has uh, was uh, about a month ago is unable to walk completely and is now uh, recovering after his back, his spine surgery. So you can take a look at that video. It's on the Instagram stories, the uh, top there of my of that account for the show. All right. Yes, yeah, so this comes out. We have on Capitol Hill, Merrick the Magnificent, the Attorney General, and uh, Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, goes to town on him about this article. Uh, he he mentions the uh, story about the uh, the Washington Post piece on the Trump raid. Uh, listen to him uh, set this up here. And uh, yeah, I was interested, given your answer to read in this morning's Washington Post, that the FBI is saying that you overruled them when it came to raiding ex-president Trump's personal residence. Washington Post reports this morning showdown before the raid <clears throat> that senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted doing so as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to search his property. These field agents wanted to shutter the criminal investigation altogether in early June, the Post reports, but they were overruled by Maine DOJ. So I guess in light of your earlier testimony just this morning, my question is, how often do you overrule FBI field agents for political purposes? Great question. Because he's got the FBI saying, no, we don't want to do the raid, according at least to the Washington Post. So what does Garland do? He starts to obfuscate and lie. I've skimmed that article. It is not, that's not an accurate reflection of what the article says, and I'm not able to comment on the investigation. Wait, 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 wait. You said it's not an, I'm, I'm reading to you from the article. Quote, senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted the plan as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to seek his property, according to four people who spoke on condition of anonymity to describe a sensitive investigation, end quote. Again, I have to say I'm not able to uh, uh, describe the investigation. I bet he's pissed that some of this is getting out. On the other hand, notice how self-serving it is of the FBI to now be saying, hey, I... Um, I don't think, uh, I, well, there's all these good guys, all these good guys that were trying to resist this nonsense. That to me is, I think, a little suspicious. But at any rate, I love that Hawley is uh, sorting this thing out. 
Now, there are some other great moments throughout this, and I uh, one of the key issues for me, of course, is the uneven treatment that conservatives get at the hand of the FBI. And I'm not even just talking about Trump versus Biden, both, of course, with uh, their alleged mishandling of classified information. Uh, I think they're actually quite different, but nonetheless, very different treatment of Biden, very different treatment of other Democrats. Ooh, Hillary Clinton, dare I say. So here, uh, Ted Cruz absolutely nails it, talking, uh, asking Garland, talking to Garland about Pastor Mark Houck. Remember, he is the right-to-life counselor who pushes a crazed left-wing pro-lifer, a poor pro-choicer, excuse me, away from his minor child. The local law enforcement authorities didn't, uh, refuse to press charges. A local prosecutor refuses to press charges. Nobody wants to do anything with it until the FBI and the Justice Department come along and put this guy on trial. He won that case ultimately and is now a free man. Uh, part of his uh, the scandal of this, of course, is Mark Houck's arrest, where they sent 20-plus armed FBI agents into his house. He's got a bunch of kids there, freaked everyone uh, the life out of everybody. Listen to Ted Cruz, uh, Grill, Attorney General Merrick Garland. If you're a violent criminal and you attack a crisis pregnancy center, that is not a priority in the Biden Department of Justice. Contrast that to Mark Houck, who's a pro-life activist. He's a sidewalk counselor. He had an altercation with someone who allegedly interfered with his son's personal space and threatened his, his son, and he pushed him. Now, in an ordinary world, Pushing someone would be maybe a sim simple misdemeanor assault, but not under the Biden Department of Justice. If you're a pro-life activist, what can you expect? Well, in this instance, according to Mr. Houck's wife, two dozen agents clad in body armor and ballistic helmets and shields and a battering ram showed up at his house pointing rifles at his family. This incident, by the way, is one of the most clear manifestations of how the Biden Justice Department treats political opponents. And it's honestly no better than something that would happen in Ecuador, uh, Argentina, and even Iran. It is despicable. The shame that these people have on them for this, and I mean Biden, I mean the Biden administration. I mean specifically Merrick Garland. The upper echelons of the Justice Department and the FBI. It is a stink that these people will never be able to wash off themselves. It's a simple assault charge. Now, federal law has it, a, what is it, interfering with a, somebody's right to access an abortion. This is, they're not arresting a terrorist. Now, we'll say as a side note, the FBI loves to train their Gestapo tactics on people they know are going to be unarmed and are going to be safe and compliant. This is a thing that they do. I'm aware of that. But man alive, I used to, there was a time when, you know, when the FBI was looked up to. As a, as you know, just good old honest G-men doing the right thing and and protecting America, keeping us safe. But I'll tell you that is out the window with this. So to that point, 
Marsha Blackburn gets in there. Senator Blackburn talks about a two-tiered justice system. What is coming clear to me as I listen to this is basically in your DOJ, the Biden DOJ, there are two tiers of justice. There are one for people with conservative values, for parents, for people of faith. And then there is another tier of justice that applies to the Washington liberal elites. That's right. Two tiers of justice. And she gets into it here specifically with Jane's revenge and firebombings. Would you agree that firebombing a crisis pregnancy center constitutes an act of domestic terrorism? It's at least domestic violence, okay, extremism. Okay, so then let's talk about the far-left group Jane's Revenge, because they claimed responsibility for that. They went so far as to spray paint their name on the wall. So do you intend to prosecute them? We intend, if we find them, to do that. There is a oh, sim- so you can't find them. If you have information about those groups, we, we well, would be is, happy to... that is your job. <laughs> That's the FBI. That's the Justice Department. Prosecute Trump. Get Trump. Get Trump. Get Republicans, Cong- you know, conservatives, but you can't even find a terror group. I'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Yes, welcome back, friends. Great to be with you here on News Talk 840, KXNT, the What's Right show, powered by Sam and Ash Injury Law, the only name to trust if you get injured or hurt in Nevada or California. 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. All right, so we have uh, the showdown on Capitol Hill. Oh, yes, Suri Bob. I'm Look, I mean, these are just the Senate uh Republicans. This, the Senate isn't even held by the Republicans. It's uh, Democrat controlled, and you can see how uncomfortable they're making the Attorney General. In the House, in the House, there are also uh some hearings underway today. I'll get to those in a moment. I am uh I just want to point that out that there is a uh, real uh, renewed enthusiasm on the Republican side to hold accountable the Biden folks. I like this. It's good. Now, I made a prediction last week. I want to share this with you. Circling back, as Jen Psaki would say, producer Robbie, what was it that I predicted last week after Trump toured the uh, town of East Palestine, Ohio? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I That's right. I said that Trump's numbers would be up bigly following that visit. So, we have now some polling that has come through. I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. Don't don't you worry. I've got it here. If you go to the latest polls. And what I do is I always go to Real Clear Politics because they have 
uh, kind of a, 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 the best, most definitive, all the, all the most recent polls. You go there, you go to the GOP 2024 races. The Emerson poll that dropped yesterday, Trump is up by 30. Now, give you some context. Monday, February 27th, the poll that was taken before he went to East Palestine, Trump was up by 16. The one before that from the 26th was plus 15. The one on the 24th of February had DeSantis plus 8. Tuesday, the 21st, had him plus 13. So a jump of almost almost double, basically, of what the most recent poll was. And this poll, and I looked at this, folks. I had to be certain. I looked at this poll, and it was taken the 24th and the 25th. So the 24th and the 25th, Friday and Saturday. And as I believe, Trump went out on the 22nd on Wednesday. So this poll was taken roughly two and three days after his visit out there. I know, uh, I know what we're, I know what I'm talking about here. That was a uh, a solid performance on Trump's part. Now, I keep saying this: he needs to keep all of that up. And needlessly attacking people who are not in the race, i.e. DeSantis, I think is not a good strategy overall. And I've got I got some emails. I understand. I got some emails. I've responded. I, I think I understand you, you know, it was but it Trump was in a different place back in 2016 than he is now. He's the front runner. 2016, he was Mr. 1%. That's all he had. He was a joke. Nobody took him seriously. I mean, we understood it. We saw his early rallies there in Arizona and New Mexico. You saw what I saw and understood that he was going to be a political force. But, I mean, everybody in the know was dismissing him. Yes, people are dismissing him now as well, which I think is, a, is an error. Uh, but I think, but I think he's just coming at it from a different place. He, he needs to be the ex-president, future president, play that role, and rise above throwing, throwing you know, churlish insults around uh, to people that are not even in the race yet, officially. One, meaning DeSantis, and two, people who are not attacking him at all. Right? That's that's a that's a bad that's. That's bad strategy. I've said it time and time again. One of the best things that Santos does is he doesn't attack anybody really except for Biden. And so what he does is he 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 uses his uh, media people, press people. It's a very savvy team. I'll tell you that. If DeSantis ever becomes president, the, his his team that is his comms people, they are going to run circles around anything that Trump had. And I know he, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was was a great press secretary. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think I think Christina Pushon and his other people that he has are, are just e even better, frankly. And they're witty, and they're able to they're able to throw the zingers without diminishing DeSantis or his office. And that was always the kind of the, the the problem with with Trump is he didn't he he didn't ever trust anybody quite like he trusted himself. Of course, he's a you know he's he's funny and he's a great communicator, 
and uh, he's got a strong Twitter game, but it, it just never, it, it unfortunately, I think, always, you know, created a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a problem for him. So, back to the Capitol. Right now, speaking of Donald Trump, I think some, some uh, testimony that is, uh, I, well, is supportive of some of the things Trump has said over the years, uh, particularly of late. There is a actual uh, guy from John Hopkins University, a uh, doctor who is testifying today. And this is, uh, this guy is uh, Dr. Marty Macri. And he is testifying to the House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. Dr. Marty Macri uh, says that the greatest perpetrator of misinformation during COVID was the U.S. government. Listen to this. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? Well, they've ignored it. I mean, it ran, there was one opinion piece in the New York Times, the study itself uh, was somewhere on the third or fourth page. I, they're, they're ignoring it. That's exactly what they're doing. And they want amnesty, right? That's the word. They want amnesty. They want us to forget all of this. And as I said the other day, I think they, they want amnesty on what they did to us two years ago. But at the same time, they want to beat us over the heads, beat me, right? Uh, my parents came to this country 100 years before uh, some of this stuff happened that they want accountability for them. They, I mean, the left reparations reparations for slavery hey my, my parents got here a hundred years after slavery ended this is absurd <laughs> this has nothing to do with me but yes at the same exact time they want us to just forget about all of their lies and all of the damaging damaging things they did to this country to our people to our kids just two years ago I don't think so. Not so fast. More on this testimony. You'll be fascinated by this. He's, this. Republicans are shedding some light on this stuff. It's good. We'll be back in a moment. The What's Right Show will continue here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back. Sam Rajovsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. The What's Right Show. Live and local. Coming to you from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Had a little bit of sun. Now it's overcast again. The snow-covered mountains visible from my office. Um, those mountains right there, uh, those were not snow-covered this morning. So this is it's been a productive day, uh, snow-wise, uh, here in the valley. Uh, wonderful. We um, have, uh, and I was corrected here, it's Marty Macri. McCary. No, McCary. That's, that's the proper pronunciation of uh, this uh, physician's John Hopkins University testifying to the select sub subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. The House Republicans uh, are having uh, some people come in and talk about uh, COVID and get some accountability going to all this nonsense that's been happening over the last couple of years. Now, one of the things he said is that the 
government is the greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic. All the stuff that you remember the mask, you got to get masks. Remember, I just saw a piece the other day speaking. Of, remember when the most important thing that we needed were ventilators? And suddenly it was just this New York was buying all these ventilators and, and Trump, of course, was was frantically getting everybody ventilators and got no credit for any of that, of course. And now they're they're selling unused ventilators in, in uh, New York State are selling them basically for scrap metal. Have you seen this? So what they figured out pretty quickly is, well, it turns out, you know, it's putting somebody on a vent. It's looking at a last resort thing. There's other ways of treating this uh, this this virus. So they, they just we didn't know, but at the same time, this false sense of surety permeated everything that our government did, constantly beating us over the head with this nonsense. So at any rate, now they're talking a little bit about the myocarditis issue, heart issues. This is what Dr. Marty. McCary said from John Hopkins University about heart problems related to COVID. That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the, the vaccine. That young people benefit from a booster. Misinformation. Our two top experts on vaccines quit the FDA in protest over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. That's why the CDC never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted Americans under age 50. The vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting point because there are vaccines that are well, that have that have proven results, but because the trust of our medical establishment, our government has been brought to an all-time low thanks to these fanatics, people are now backing away from getting necessary and tested vaccines uh, at a higher rate than they ever have uh, before. So I, you know, th this, by the way, I... You know, I, I did not get any of my kids vaccinated. I myself have not been vaccinated. I, I've avoided it. And I was, it's always interesting when you go against the grain on something, but you follow your, not, and it's not my gut, it's you follow common sense. Because what I ask myself is why would I need a vaccine for a disease that I had and survived? And when I said I had and I survived it, I lay in bed, I watched TV, I ate ice cream, which I could barely taste, but uh, oddly enough, ice cream was the one thing that I, I could kind of taste. I could taste sweet. Felt very tired, and uh, in a week I was feeling better. So why would I take something that has an emergency authorization that hasn't been tested, that hasn't been trialed, that hasn't been, you know, a whole lot of things to prevent me from getting something that I already got that I already survived? So that was a question that no one really could answer for me other than, well, Sam, but you, you need to get the vaccine so you can you can go to Raiders games. Sorry, I'm going to as a hard pass. In fact, I still on some level, I'm really pissed at the Raiders and Legion Stadium and everything for their. That wasn't a Legion. It was the Raiders organization. They, they're woke. 
Now they had it. They went all in for vaccines. All right, we're just going to make sure you're all vaccinated so we can all. It was stupid. You know who didn't push that? Golden Knights, Silver Knights too. So you could go to you could go there and and be a red blooded American. Couldn't go to a Raiders game. Well, just reminding you of that. So here, speaking of best judgment, again, one last uh, clip I'm going to play here of Marty McCary, uh, doctor from John Hopkins University, talking about this. And I think he's just spot on right here. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews, and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. And this is why we cannot just let it go. This isn't frozen. Folks, we have to hold these people accountable. And uh, somebody somewhere is going to have to go to jail. And, and at, at some point, at some level in this, there is, there is criminal fraud that was, that was perpetrated by, by these government officials. And I, I absolutely, under no circumstances, want to allow for us to just move along and not do anything. This has harmed lives. And I, I'm not a – look, I, I, I'm waiting. I'm reserving judgment on people dropping dead of the vaccine, all right? But you're starting to see, as you're hearing his testimony, show that these heart problems are of greater – they're, they're more often occurring with people that had the vaccine. Now, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, correlation doesn't prove causation, and I understand that, so I'm, I'm going to wait and see. But what I do not like is people sitting out there going, oh, well, this just wasn't a, this is not a problem, and, and oh, this is just hype, and this is that. No. Vaccine damage still remains to be proven. And so to all the conservatives out there that are very loudly talking about, well, we just got to move on past this and be conspiracy theorists, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not with you. One of the core fundamental elements of conservatism for me is accountability, personal accountability, organizational accountability. You do wrong. You pay the price. So far, they did wrong, and we're paying the price. Our jobs, our businesses, our kids. My girls are still, still recovering from the fact that they were out of school basically better part of two years. They did all of this uh, to the kids, to our businesses, to our social interactions, our family lives, all this disruption, it was all done to get rid of Trump. That was what they had as a singular focus on this. 
And that's why it's so unforgivable. They literally destroyed lives. They killed people just to get rid of a political adversary. Absolutely despicable. All right, friends, got to run. The time is up. Two hours of radio excellence just uh, gone like that. We, uh, we, made, we did it. We got through it. I'll be back tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Have a wonderful day, folks. Thank you for listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, over and out.